Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Midway through perhaps the toughest run of games City will face all season and it's an even split, an excellent performance and victory at Chelsea followed up by a pretty decent performance but nevertheless a loss at PSG. The only question that remains is what Sunday's trip to Liverpool will yield. Did last season's 4-1 win there break the old Anfield curse? Or now that the fans are back and the Merseysiders seem to have a little bit more form, do we have to go there and break that curse all over again? More on that coming up later on in today's Blue Moon podcast. Also on today's show, now that Pep Guardiola has more wins than any other City manager will be taking a look at how he passed each of his predecessors in the job. Plus, Howard Hocking will be discussing why so many City fans always still seem to fear the worst later on in the show as well. I'm David Mooney and for today's podcast I'm joined by two City fans, Kieran Clark. All right. And Liam Wright. Hello there. So, uh, yeah, let's dive into, um, I, I, I think, two pretty decent performances overall. Uh, certainly the, the performance at Stamford Bridge was, uh, less so at, at PSG, but they, you know, they, they, they were still all right. Um, Liam, in terms of, of the results and the situation, let's start with, uh, with Stamford Bridge. Just how important was that victory at, at Chelsea, not just for staying in touch at the top, but also for, for just stopping Chelsea and breaking their momentum this season? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I won't be the only one that might have woken up on Saturday morning feeling a little bit like it's a big day today and things could go really well. Or as I, being a bit more cynical, uh, thought things could go really badly. So, you know, going to Chelsea, it's always difficult when you play Chelsea. Um, You know, we've had some good days there, but we've had plenty of bad days as well. Uh, United were at home and Liverpool were playing a promoted team. So you're thinking, you know, um, we really need to sort of, have a big performance here, um, which we did. You know, the result obviously for City was brilliant, and uh, Liverpool dropping points away at Brentford was obviously huge. And uh, one of the big things I've missed about being at a football um, over the time when we weren't at, uh, in attendance at football is when you hear something else going on at another ground. And to be in the lower uh, shed at Stamford Bridge on Saturday, and word getting around that United not only conceded. But then uh, Bruno had missed a penalty as well. <laughs> it was really like one of the moments why yeah, I love going to football. <laughs> and, Absolute and, burnt heaven, was it? It was, yeah. It was like, um, you know, the R rate of uh, infection of people finding out about it was off the scale. <laughs> um, it was really, you know, word went round so quickly. So so much joy seen on people's faces. So, yeah, I mean, the result on Saturday was just perfect. And, you know, all the other results went for us as well. Yeah, I wasn't uh, I wasn't in the ground uh, on Saturday, but I, I was down in London for it because uh, six oh. six of us went down for the Anthony Joshua fight. So there's three Burts and three United fans, uh, and we watched it in a pub with a load of Chelsea fans. So it was just oh, it was so sweet. All the Chelsea fans were absolutely devastated. Just <laughs> me and t- me and two of my mates and and the United lads were absolutely gutted. It was yeah, it, it's that 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 beauty. It's just like chef's kissing, and it? it's just uh, <laughs> it's just per- perfect way to uh, to win football. Yeah, I mean though that said, Casey, Tuesday night comes along. Um, what did you think of the of, of the display against PSG? Not necessarily the result, but they, they seemed all right, didn't they? Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was perfectly fine. Um, you know, nothing. Yeah, the the way that the Champions League groups have been weighted over the past few years, especially, there's absolutely no sort of um, there's no worry, is there? Um, and I, th- I think that's one of the underrated parts of you know when obviously I don't want to go into you know the empty seat banter and stuff like that. There's no jeopardy. What you know what it, football loses a lot of its luster and and the point in going, and like fantastic you know playing PSG big team and and all that sort of stuff uh, on Tuesday night but I thought we'd play well I expected us to win because we are a lot better than them I think we showed that we're miles miles more better than them than I expected us to be um but obviously the result didn't go against didn't go for us and if you asked me to choose any game this week which wouldn't go for us I think everyone every man and the dog is picking the PSG results and not go against us um 
because you just think you know it it didn't really matter did it um the performance was good but if, just seeing it as a way to sort of get some more minutes under some players legs uh, and that was the only thing that was a bit surprising was the uh, the strength of the team that he put out um i thought Ro- Rodri was particularly exceptional as well on tuesday night uh, really really good uh, i i'm not a massive fan of cancelo from from left back usually but i thought he, i thought he was really good um, and I just think, yeah, it's just one of those where I think the players will have already forgotten about that. Um, yeah. Even now when we're talking on Thursday, um, they'll have been well-focused on Anfield for the weekend. Yeah, Liam, the, the, the performance-wise as well at, at Stamford Bridge, I think it, it's very easy to kind of get sucked into how much of a big result that was. But it, it was a big performance as well, wasn't it? To, to basically restrict Chelsea to having no chances in the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we spoke on the, uh, the Patreon Heaven and Hell about when... Uh, the Champions League final and how after about five minutes I could almost smell it in the air that Pepper got it wrong. Now this was the absolute opposite of this. You know, after three or four minutes, I could just sense it in the air that actually we're well up for this today. And you were, you know, in that first half especially where we're at one side of the uh, one end of the, the ground to where City were attacking, and they just weren't getting anywhere near us. You know, like everyone was down the other end of the pitch and. Um, you know, you could see how hard so many of the players, you know, Foden, Jesus, Grealish uh, in particular, were, were sort of pressing them from the front. And uh, yeah, we just completely strangled them. Um, and it was it was probably the best performance we've had since the, the, the two PSG games back in April and May. Um, you know, we've not really had to play against, a, apart from the Champions League final, we've not had to play against a really top team. Um, and... Uh, we, I think it was the first, you know, it was the first time in quite a while where we proved that we can still play at that real high level. What was that away end like? As soon as you realised that Jesus's shot was going in, at pandemonium, you know, um, it's we, we we knew that we were on top, and you know the way that we were playing, the way that they were playing as well. You, you, you're thinking we're we're looking good for a clean sheet here. Um, you just wondered, are we going to be able to actually get you know break the deadlock really? Because you know, the week before against Southampton was still stuck in your mind a little bit. So, you know, seeing him twist and turn and um, see it just trickle into the bottom corner, oh, you know, it was one of those, again, one of the reasons why you remember why you go every week sort of thing. It was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, in terms of of that Chelsea game, Casey, what was it that gave City so much control? Was it was it simply that Chelsea weren't interested in, in coming out and having a fight and wanted City to have the ball? Or was City just doing all the strangling work at the front end? I think, yeah, City were doing all the strangling work at the front end, as you say. Um, I think, like I say, like, um, I think Jesus, Jesus is pressing um, up high on the right-hand side. Like, I always thought Jesus was a winger rather than a striker anyway, but I fully anticipated him to be on the left rather than the, on the right. But I think he's been a revelation since he's gone to the right-hand side. And I think, uh, coupled with the fact of, of what Grealish gives to us, like, I know obviously mixing the two games, but he got slated by quite a lot of people, um, you know, about the way that he played on uh, on the PSG game. What's impressed me so much is just how much he just keeps on going and going and going and going. Like, he takes control and takes the initiative on the pitch. And I think as good as other players are, and I think other players are better than him um, in that position in certain ways and, and can be more dynamic, I think apart from De Bruyne, uh, he's one of the few that actually will... Look at seems to look at the game and go right. I'm going to take this by the scruff of the neck. Bernardo was was exceptional and was better than Grealish was against Chelsea. But in terms of what Bernardo gives you, he buzzes around everywhere and he does this, that, and the other. He doesn't take the game. He doesn't control the game or bring it by the scruff of his neck in the same way that Grealish was doing and just going and over and over and over and over and over again. And I think that was sort of wearing down. Um, Chelsea's defence gradually and gradually and gradually that it was opening up the space for other players to do what they needed to do even if everything wasn't working or coming off for the work that Grealish was doing and I think that similar thing was happening on Tuesday night where his performance wasn't quite as good but obviously the referee was the way it was but he never shies away from taking the ball and just going and doing the same things over and over and over again and it just wears down the defence to give pockets of space elsewhere even if Grealish isn't having a particularly good game yeah. Now, uh, here's the, the question that I'm sure Guardiola will be asked again in his Friday pre-match press conference and will be sick to death of answering it by now. Um, but Liam, does does the results on Tuesday night change if City have a number nine in that game? I'm not sure if it does. Um, you know, I'd be... Because I, 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 I did think about this at the time, um, you know, the way that 
we played. And I just think if, let's say, Aguero two or three years ago played there, I mean, would it have been that different? I'm not, I'm not sure if it would have been. Um, I don't know. <laughs> what do you two yeah, think? I, no, no I, I agree with you. I, I don't think it would have made too much of a difference. No, I don't. Um, I think, you know, our finishing leaves a lot to be desired, but it, it like with, with the finishes that we did miss, w- would a centre forward have actually been in those positions to get those? I no. think we would have lost maybe some of the pulling and pulling and pushing their defence into to create those pockets of space if we just had a central focal point. Over over the ter- over the course of a season, I would much prefer to have a striker, but not necessarily for those games against Chelsea and Liverpool and things like that. I think we are much better when we have more in midfield and we can dominate and can control the game. Where we miss a striker, like whether that be Kane or Lukaku or whoever that we would like to have up front, is to be a flat-track bully against the likes of Southampton. That's where we miss a central striker. Not in the not in the tight games against PSG or Chelsea, where it, it suits us much better to not have that focal point. Yeah, I mean, of course, because the, the, the other school of thought, I guess, Casey, is that you, you put in a number nine, you have to take out a creative midfielder. You ain't taking exactly. you you taking a defender yeah. out, are you? Exactly. No. Well, yeah. well, you know, you never know with Guardiola. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. While we're on uh, the strikers, or, or not in this case, um, I do want to focus a bit more on Jesus because, Casey, you've been talking about how good he's been uh, this season from the from the right-hand side. Uh, Liam, he's, he's also, in terms of his goals input as well, he's got three goals in eight appearances, which doesn't sound fantastic, but only five of them are starts. So it's three goals in five starts. Yeah, I think no matter where he plays, you know, if he ends up playing as a winger for the whole season or if he goes back to be more central, he, he just needs to score goals, really. You know, um, I don't know if you saw much of the post-match uh, analysis, but Joe Cole said something I quite enjoyed when he said that uh, the things with City is they've got four number nine and a halves and, you know, we expect them all to score about 15 goals each. And I think with Mares, you would expect him to score 15 goals and Jesus is definitely that as well, where, um, you know, you, we, we might not have someone who's going to score 20, 25 goals this season, but we have got quite a few that can sort of chip in for 10 to 15 each. Um, so I think so far, Jesus is, is, is looking good. Um, I don't think it's one for every game to play him out there. Um, but in games like that and games this weekend as well, I'd say that you want his pressing and um, just the way that he sort of puts himself about a bit uh, to be on the pitch. Yeah, I guess it's interesting with him, Casey, that uh, Guardiola doesn't it doesn't even doesn't even seem to entertain the idea of putting him centrally anymore. And, and you know, even when he's rotating the front three and moving players around, it's it's Jesus' wide right, and it's it's a position that we've not really seen him in until, until this season. Yeah, but it, but it's one that definitely suits him. Um, like I touched on before, I think he's to me he always seemed like more naturally. Uh, you know, better coming in from the left. But I am glad that he's not playing up front no more. I I just I think. He will get more goals from the right than he would if you played him up front centrally for a full season. Because I think just that position move has taken a weight off his shoulders. You see, he seems much less under pressure than he has been over the past couple of seasons where he just looks like it's completely just gotten too much for him, you know, when he has to play up front in the middle. Um, and I, well, think I mean, did, looked- you, did you not see his, uh, there was that Instagram story he posted um, ages ago where he, he, he basically had, had accepted that. He, it was something like he wanted to kill himself when he missed chances. And it's like, that's not how you should be as a centre forward. Well, I hadn't seen that. But that's, geez, that, that's awful. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's like, I, he just seems to be playing with more of a freedom and, uh, and much more of a smile on his face that I've not seen for the past few seasons. Yeah, yeah, Liam. The other options, obviously, that City have there. I mean, we'll we'll get into Raheem Sterling a little bit later on, but uh, you know, the name Mares came up there, and he's he's been in and out of the team so far this season, but he's still a good option to have on on that right hand side, cutting in to the left. It's it, it, there's there's so much competition for places right now, and you look at, at the left hand side with uh, Grealish and, and and Foden wanting to to get some minutes in there. You have got Bernardo floating around as well. Uh, De Bruyne's you know, playing in the middle a bit deeper. You've got Mares, Sterling, and, and Jesus on the right hand side. City don't need a number nine right now, do they? They've got they've got so many options there right now. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think we've obviously got so much creativity um, that you, you just do need someone to put the ball in the back of the net from time to time. And I think l- last year we were very fortunate that um, Gundogan scored as many goals as he did. Um, obviously, he's injured at the moment, but you know, we do need someone who is going to be putting it in for us um, and if that is 
Jesus doing playing like he did uh, on Saturday, sort of moving centrally from a corner. Or you know, if we are going to be scoring more from from corners and, and free kicks and things like that, then, um, then then that's fine. But yeah, there's there's so much creativity there, um, and so many players that can switch wings and sort of play centrally if they need to. There's so much fluid. I oh, can't get the word out properly. We're very fluid, let's just say. <laughs> and and we've got so much depth. And you think that being able to change from game to game and the depth should give us the advantage over anybody else um, in the Premier League. Uh, but you've got, you've got to get the, the mixture right at the same time. Yeah, I, I, I can see what, what when he is back fully, you know, proper fully fit and up and running with a few runner games. I, I could see, you know, that nine and a half position or whatever you're talking I could see Jesus and, and Foden being the two, as if almost like two up front, but not in the classic as centrally as, uh, as they used mm. to be. I could see Foden playing further up this season. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk Let's touch on uh, Raheem Sterling because Mike Cook's been in touch on Twitter and said, uh, I think we saw against PSG that our Chelsea team is our best this season, but where is Sterling at now? You know, I've been saying for two years that he needs to be played on the right, but has that ship sailed with the form of Jesus? He needed a good season this year, but I can now see him being sold in the summer. Um, KC, what do you reckon? Uh, unfortunately, I'd agree with most of that, to be honest with you. Um, I think... Sterling, like I've, you know, I always say on this show, you know, he gets he gets a bad rap from a lot of our fans that he doesn't necessarily deserve. But there's no there's no disguising for the past twelve months he has been in poor form by his standards. Um, but what has been strange is the fact that over that period of time he's been by far England's best player, and England's you know best runner form in you know in certainly in my lifetime. So he is a bit of a contradiction at the moment, um, and I think. Part, I'm not sure whether part of the problem is, no matter what formation is our strong, our two or three strongest at the moment, I don't think Sterling fits in that. Um, as as the question said, you know, Sterling's best position is wide on the right because we think of his best form for City was not necessarily his highest goal scoring season, but when it was Sani on the left, Sterling on the right, we looked absolutely devastating. We don't play anything close to that anymore. Um, you know, that formation, I I can't see us playing that again. You know, in the next couple of years, you know, unless anything seriously changed, um, we're a much different side, and I just don't see where Sterling necessarily fits into it. Does that he, does that make unless, him surplus to requirements? False, well, well, unless he's playing, you know, the the false, you know, the false nine or whatever through the middle, um, I, I'd, I'd I'd hate to see him go, but and and I don't think he will go, and because I think if anyone has the mentality to prove anyone wrong and force their way in into this side it is Sterling with with you know with his work rate and his determination and everything that he's overcome you know throughout his career I think he can worm his way in I think it's more a case of I just can't see where he fits in at the moment yeah I mean as we've been saying Liam that that right hand side is busy with Mares and Jesus wanting wanting game time there as well he got the chance to start against PSG uh, Sterling but he was through the middle what did you make of his display he hit the bar he did, yeah. Um, I think the thing is, I always think of Sterling at his best. I mean, I, you know, Kieran just mentioned it there, him playing on the right, and I always think of him in that position, um, being his best position. Because playing through the middle, there's too many times when he's got his back to goal, and I just don't think he's better running at players. Because the thing is with Sterling, which everyone knows, he's dead quick, and he scares the shit out of defenders. And when he's got when he's coming deep and things like that, I just don't think it works. Um, I've never been keen on him playing through the middle. I know, you know that um, <clears throat> the game we don't really want to talk about when United beat us at home three two when he should have scored a few before half time and he played it through the middle that day. And I just ne- don't ever think it really works than playing through the middle. Um, I think when he was playing on the left um, for you know about two years, he was playing on the left and cutting inside. He had a lot of joy doing that, but I seem to feel like. He's sort of been sussed out a little bit with that sort of cutting inside and bending it into the bottom corner. Um, you know, it feels like some time since he last did that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he did 
hit the, hit the bar the other night. Um, I don't think he played badly. And the thing is about Sterling, he will, he'll never, he can never say that he doesn't work hard or you can never say that he, um, he doesn't ever shy away. He's always still looking to get the ball. Um, but I just think that the way that we're playing at the moment, um, I sort of, you know, what you basically said it there, that it's as if the team's evolved a bit and um, he's not really evolved with it in the same way. And I think, you know, you look at the team where he was probably at his best, he's, apart take away Walker and De Bruyne, a lot of them either aren't in the team at all or we've sold them, you know, Company, Otamendi, Delph, Fernandinho, Sane, Aguero, David Silva. You know, he's, he's like, even though it's been not long at all, he's still like a player from that team. And even though when you watch City, we're still great to watch as we were back then, but the team has changed a bit and maybe the way he links up with certain players has changed as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a difficult one because, again, I don't think he played badly, but he is he hasn't really got a place in the team at the moment. Yeah, and KC, the, you look at, at the option of him playing on the left and cutting inside, um, that path is currently... Yeah, it's, it's, it's Grealish, Grealish got that, Grealish, yeah. Grealish, Foden, um, like I say. Um, I, I suppose the thing is with Grealish and Foden, they can both play other positions, um, whereas, you know, on, on the right-hand side, Mahrez can only play on the right. So you, so yeah. you could see, theoretically, a weigh-in for, for Sterling on the left. As I say, it's just more a case of, as I say, me and Liam are probably trying to say the same thing at the same time. We just don't know yeah. where he, he can fit in at the minute. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think... If, 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 it's not, if it's not down the middle, which isn't by any... It's probably what his third best position at best. But yeah. if he's not playing there, where else is he getting in? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think... I, for me, he's still got you know, quite a bit of credit in the bank, so to speak, because of what he did for oh, us. Yeah. Um, and I'm not one to sort of turn my back on him at all. But it's, it is, I mean, the, the original question that you got there um, about being him sold in the summer, I, I wouldn't want him to be sold in the summer, and I hope we don't. But a bit like Aguero last year, you know, if he can't prove his fitness, if he can't prove himself in the team this year, then we're going to have to get rid. And I think, unfortunately, it's quite the same with Sterling, that if if we can't get a good run of games or scores the goals that he should be, then we, I don't know. I mean, he's still relatively young, um, but yeah, I'm not too sure. I, what the future I, I, holds I, I, like, I just, I just can't see it with, you know, he's, I think he's got, has he got three years left on his contract? I don't know. Or, I, I might be wrong with that. And the fact that he's no. English and he's young and would we get the money that we want, that we want or he's worth? No. I, th- I think, I think those are the factors of why he'd stay regardless of whether he does or doesn't prove himself. I actually thought he had a. I actually thought he had a year left. So, oh, oh, does he? Right. I thought, okay. it was, I thought it was only a year. I thought that's why they were nego- negotiating. I thought it was a year after this season, so he's he's got eighteen months or so left. I thought it was. I thought it was two and a half he had left. So yeah. If you, years, if you yeah. if you know, write in and let us know because one of us <laughs> one of us has got to be wrong, haven't we? So uh, so yeah. <laughs> um, let's let's finish this first part of the show with. Uh, I never ever ever like talking about referees when City have lost the game. But Liam, Tuesday night. City fans seem pretty annoyed that they didn't get the rub of the green with the officials. Um, what were your feelings on it all? Uh, well, I thought in particular, um, Grealish had, there was a lot of times where he should have got a foul. I mean, I'm not sure if the referee had read about how many fouls he wins um, and just felt like he had to sort of not give him, you know, the sort of which were genuine fouls, I felt. Uh, apart from that, I didn't feel like there was lots of bad decisions. Um, but yeah, that in particular, you know, there's probably like key areas where we could have had free kicks and we, they weren't given to us, uh, particularly from uh, fouls on Grealish. But yeah, apart from that, I, I didn't think it was as bad as some games we've had in the past anyway. Especially yeah, in Europe. But, but, <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I think I think with that, like, like I wasn't. T- I found it comical, but again, I think that comes down to the fact that that game didn't have much jeopardy on it. I think if that had been a semi-final and that was happening, I think we'd be going absolutely berserk um, because it it was comical. It was just so like bizarre the decisions he wasn't giving. Like I was just like sat like laughing at the telly. It just didn't make any sense. It was just like you know this bozo never gives us nothing. Um, <laughs> to put but, a phrase. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. But it was just it it was just there. It was it was just very, very strange. Um and you would say that, oh, you know, that was an anomaly, but considering some of the displays that we have had in Europe, I think we're just gonna have to put up with that. And I think that was one of the, the best things about the run last year, you know, to the final, up until the final, um, was the fact that we didn't we didn't need any you know, nothing like that ever came down to it. We were so much better than every team that we played in the lead up to the final. 
that we didn't even if a referee put in one of those like performances against us it it didn't matter we were good enough to overcome that as well and I think you know we're probably going to have to do the same again this season yeah rubber the green though with uh, De Bruyne's challenge Liam not for me I think um he, well, he touched the ball first, so you know. I, I understand that. Other, I, I know other, uh, you know, other people have been sent off for things similar in the past. But yeah, I mean, maybe lucky in the the context of it was in Europe and we weren't getting a lot of other stuff that night. But for me, it wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a red not, card. Not a red. No. For, for, no. For, for me, for me, it was one of them that he would have been unlucky to be sent off, but he was also lucky to stay on. It was it was that sort of finer margin, do you know what I mean? Just because of the way that decisions go nowadays, it was. Uh, I think I think a, a yellow is fair, but I don't think we could have argued with the red either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, final, 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 final question, Casey. Um, obviously, the the PSG defeat comes uh, in the second group game. It's now back to back games against uh, Bruges. Two, I mean, two wins would put City in an immensely strong position. That's what you're saying about the lack of jeopardy. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think four, four points. I think would be would be fine. But I, I fully expect us to get six points against Bruges, and I don't, I don't think anyone else is expecting any difference. To be honest with you, I know yeah. they've had a good start to the group. They're on four points now, are they? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm fully expecting at least minimum four points, but expecting six. Yeah. Well, last Saturday's win at Chelsea was Pep Guardiola's 221st while manager of Manchester City. No City boss has won more, and it's a very real possibility that he sets a record that no future manager will ever pass as well. I've been taking a look at how he's climbed past the winning totals of each of his predecessors. You might remember that Pep Guardiola started his reign at Manchester City with 10 victories in a row. That run saw him pass the win totals of four of his predecessors. Steve Koppel, John Benson, Johnny Hart and Lawrence Furness all peaked in single figures. First of all, it's not easy to, to play twice a week with the same team. And after winning the first one, the mentality for the opponent or the, the team had lost this, this much more and, and sometimes you can be confused what would happen in the first game. Of course, the Premier League is Premier League. I know what doesn't mean away the games. After the 3-1 victory at Swansea in 2016, Guardiola then went six games without a win. When he ended that run with a 4-0 success at West Brom, though, he passed the total set by Ron Saunders and Jimmy Frizzell. The problem when you don't win a game or you lose a game is not uh, the three points. Is, uh, is you miss a little lack of confidence for the next one. And that's happening in that period because... Uh, we, we played quite well, but uh, when, of course, you don't win your argument about how good or how many things you did really, really good sound like excuses. By the end of his first season in charge, Guardiola had passed eight more City managers. His 14th victory, 2-1 at Burnley, took him past Howard Kendall and Alan Ball. Sven-Goran Eriksson was beaten by the 3-0 FA Cup win at Crystal Palace, and the 4-0 win at West Brom bettered Frank Clark and David Ashworth's total number of victories. Beating Crystal Palace 5-0 at the end of that season was Guardiola's 30th City win. That took him past Brian Horton's 29, having also moved ahead of Sam Cowan's 23 and Joshua Palby's 22 in the weeks before. That was despite his team's inconsistency all campaign. Maybe I remember one game when the opening created more chances than us. It was a white hard lane against Tottenham. The other ones, no chance. So we're better than all the teams in the Premier League. Home away, even the next champion, Chelsea, we create more chances here and even in Stamford Beach, all the games. But in the boxes, we are not good. Three games into his next season, Guardiola passed two other managers. His 35th victory, secured by Raheem Sterling's dramatic 97th minute winner at Bournemouth, saw him overtake the 34 wins of Stuart Pearce and Jock Thompson. Sometimes we need a, an uncomfortable moment to, to be who, I, who we are. And after we play a very good, but we keep going, always we try to play. It doesn't matter what happened, always want a ball and make a to play to play and at the end we found our 
Our goal. That match sparked a run of 27 wins in 31 games in just over four months. That also saw Guardiola pass the win total set by Mark Hughes, who had 36, George Poyser with 38, Malcolm Allison with 47 over his two spells, John Bond with 51, and Peter Reid and Mel Machin, who both had 59. The 4-1 FA Cup victory over Burnley that season was Guardiola's 60th. What we have done so far, if you are not strong enough, if you have good mentality, for example against Southampton, West Ham, in winning bigger stages like Stamford Bridge, Old Trafford, today the players know it's a no-cut game, so you win, you're through, if not you're at home. And we want to continue that prestigious competition like FA Cup and how they react, of course, if you are not strong, you cannot do that. A few weeks later, he oversaw his team's 2-0 FA Cup win at Cardiff, and that took him to 64 victories, one more than Billy McNeil. The 4-1 success at West Ham towards the end of that season took Guardiola to 75 wins, overtaking Joe Royal. Always you have to play for something, you know. Once we won the Premier League, you know, the target are, you know, the numbers. The way we played always will remain there, but the numbers are there. And always the numbers we're going to achieve, once will be breaker. But they will, you know, will not be easy. <laughs> so they will have to play good to break the records they're going to break. After the opening game of his third season, Guardiola had more wins than 25 of his predecessors. The 2-0 Community Shield victory over Chelsea took him past Kevin Keegan's total of 77. So satisfied because, of course, it's a minor's title. Everybody's going to the Premier League or the FA Cup or the Champions League. But to play this title or this competition, you have to win or the Premier League or the FA Cup. So to play that competition is not easy. Once we are there, it's just to try, to be serious, to play strong in the hair. And we did it. In the weeks that followed, Guardiola passed Tom Maley's 89 wins by beating Fulham in the League Cup and Harry Newbold's 93 with success once again at West Ham. When City beat Rotherham 7-0 in the FA Cup, it took the manager to 101 wins at the club. One more than Manuel Pellegrini had finished on in his three seasons. We do what we have to do to become a, a great, great club. The great clubs don't choose competitions, don't choose games. So every game have to do your job. And we did it amazingly again. So we had eight, nine new players, fresh legs, and uh, they saw what their mates have done last Thursday and today the guys who didn't play they saw what these guys have done. By the end of that season there were only four people who had managed City to more wins than Guardiola. He'd passed Sam Omerod's 111 by beating West Ham, while back-to-back -back wins over Watford and Schalke moved him above Roberto Mancini's 113 and Tony Book's 114. Peter Hodges' total of 121 was passed with a 1-0 win over Spurs. That was the weekend after that dramatic Champions League exit. It was the legendary manager Joe Mercer next for Guardiola to pass. And when he secured his 150th win, beating United 3-1 in the first leg of the League Cup semi-final in 2020, he went one better than Mercer's 149. We played good in the first half. Second half, they changed in diamond and we struggled more. And of course, they have proud... So that's normal, the reaction that they had in front of his people. I take note about what happened in the second half or the second leg, but there's a, a good result tonight for us. The very next match, a 6-1 win at Villa Park, was dominated by the record Sergio Aguero had broken with his latest hat-trick. However, it also meant that Guardiola had more wins than Ernest Magnol as well. And then, later in the season, and after football had restarted in the aftermath of the pandemic, he moved into second place on the list by beating new champions Liverpool 4-0 at the Etihad. That was one more than Wilf Wilde's total of 161. To beat them in 4-0, the chances we create, we have done the way we defend. And the most important thing, maybe you didn't realise it, I'm going to tell you, when a team win eight titles for the last ten competitions uh, they play, it's because they are incredible, incredible team, like we are. So it's not necessary to tell today because we want uh, Liverpool. And now, 59 wins later, Guardiola has passed Les McDowell's record of 220 victories as City boss. So proud. Now share it with all, all the people in the club, in the players. So in these years we have been together for the day one. I cannot deny how proud we are. How proud we are to achieve that, to be close to Les McDowell 
the previous manager achieved this this record and yeah try to do it more city have had 37 permanent managers dating back to 1894 None of them can now boast as many wins in the job as Guardiola does, and none of them have as many trophies to their name as he does either. Put simply, there's no doubt that Guardiola is now City's most successful manager of all time. Hi, I'm Paul Walsh and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was a look at how Guardiola became City's all-time longest winning manager. Now, uh, let's have a look at the game against Liverpool. Um, We welcome Neil from the Anfield Wrap. Hi, Neil. Hello there. Uh, First things first, um, I just want to ask how you're feeling about this game because... um, Obviously, Liverpool last season were not the same beast as as this season. There's a there's a strand of uh, Manchester City, and I'm 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 not bothered. I want to clarify this first and foremost. But there, there was a period where there was a strand of Manchester City writing slash online that would uh, quite gladly lampoon some of my more emotional bits of writing in the immediate aftermath of football matches. And as I say, I'm I'm genuinely, honestly, I'm I'm more than happy to have the piss taken out of me. Uh, The way I'm feeling about Sunday's game right now today, I'm not feeling particularly partisan. I'm feeling actually really rather emotional about it. The reason why is because for the last four years, these have been the best two teams on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. I actually think they've been the best two teams on the planet by by a distance. And last season, for for one very clear reason, we, we were all unable to be able to watch either of our football teams play football. And it was a real shame we never got to celebrate Liverpool being champions. Manchester City supporters never got to celebrate Manchester City becoming champions. The idea, and I know there's context of there not being fans in, but of City, for instance, getting to reclaim that title, which they practically do do at Anfield, with a brilliant 4-1 win, frankly, was lost. It was lost to the idea that 3,000 City supporters who've been coming to Anfield year in, year out, and mostly watching City struggle, they, they never got that sort of cathartic moment, which the players, to an extent, will have got. And for me, what I'm first and foremost looking forward to on Sunday is I I think it's unbelievable in a sense that this game that the world plays, I will get to walk in, practically walk in uh, and watch the two best sets of 11 footballers of the world, the game the world plays, play it against one another. And I think that I'd like to just sort of take a step back, really, and breathe in and out on that for a second. These are literally, I'll say it again, the two best teams in the world since the start of 2018, Manchester City since the start of the 17-18 season, Liverpool since the start of the 2018 season. These are the two best at this thing, and we're going to get to watch them on Sunday. And I think that that is... That's just great, <laughs> you know, and I hate to sound really basic, like, you know, it's not all sunshine and flowers, trust me, and loads of bits of the world isn't all sunshine and flowers, but if you've had an exhausting working week and you've been up the wall with X or Y and it's tough at home at the minute and for whatever reason, you're literally getting the best version of this thing, possibly that there's ever been on Sunday at half past four at Anfield in a theatre full of 50,000, 55,000, including the city supporters, raving maniacs setting the scene for this remarkable thing and that's the first thing I'm thinking I'm thinking these are the times of our lives whether you support Liverpool or Manchester City and we should genuinely be be so excited about Sunday and if that means that my writing slash general discourse around football is far too emotional when people would rather it was analytical or factual orientated then I really don't care Sunday is quite possibly obviously if Liverpool win but could prove in lots of senses to be my favorite day of the year Liam, as as somebody who does quite a lot of city games, how many have, how many times have you done Anfield and failed to see the win? <laughs> yeah, um, this will. Well, I've been eleven times, uh, <laughs> including the, well the league, one league cup game and one Champions League game. So, yeah, yet to see City win there, uh, which yeah, 
don't really want to think about really. And yeah, I mean, being there last year would have been great. It's but, not you, um, Liam. No, yeah, well, like, <laughs> I hope it's not. But um, yeah, so I think it's, it's a weird one if I was to give a what my best result would be um, because it probably would be that nil nil when Mares misses the penalty, unfortunately, um, yeah. because there's not a lot of well, other good ones. My, my my record, I've only been Anfield once and we didn't get beat, so I feel like uh, <laughs> should be a lucky chance. Do you want my ticket yeah, on yeah. Sunday, mate? <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice one, yeah. Yeah, well, I went to the FA Cup game where uh, Graham Paul fell over and gave himself a penalty, and that, uh, yeah, that uh, that didn't turn out too well either. I mean, Liam, every, anything that Neil said there did, did that give you any confidence going into that as a City fan because of just of, of what the occasion is? Uh, well, I hope the Liverpool players are thinking what a great opportunity to play against another team instead of yeah, we want to win because um, yeah, I'm not. I mean, yeah, very nice words and all that sort of stuff, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's a case of. You know, we've we've had a big week this week. Um, you know, the Chelsea game and PSG on Wednesday. But for me, it's all about um, you know going there and trying to win again, really, and sort of getting back to the top of the league. Yeah, Neil, what's what what's the state of the Liverpool team right now? I mean, I, I know Thiago's injured. What? Uh, how else are you looking? Tiago's injured, Elliot's injured, both of whom would have had a sniff of playing this one. I don't think it was quite as nailed on. Tiago would definitely have started this as I think a lot of people would would conceive. I I think this season, City would be one of obviously one of our biggest games, but I think there'll be a lot of matches where if all three of Tiago, Henderson and Fabinho are fit, he'll pick two of them and have the third maybe be a slightly more dynamic footballer uh, with the ball at his feet uh, than, than, than those those can be. I'm more likely to sort of to, to be able to return turn sort of 12 goals over the course of a season so I don't think it's nailed on Thiago would have started I, I don't think it's necessarily nailed on Elliot would have started but he would have fulfilled what I've just said the big one for us is going to be Arnold if Trent isn't fit then it, it's obviously a, a significant blow for us and I would say both sort of in an attacking sense but also in a defensive sense you know Trent is He's, he, he's not the best right-back defensively I've ever seen at Liverpool. That was Marcus Babbel. But Marcus Babbel was a centre-back who we moved to right-back, who was six foot three and played like a centre-back who plays at right-back. Trent is, he's got good pace on the turn, he's got good recovery, and his ability to sense danger, uh, I think, has markedly increased across the last couple of years. So we will miss him both going in both directions, and he will be the big miss. Apart from that, Firmino's back fit, uh, and he's in in, in in the selection question, uh, both all all four of our unbelievably high-quality central defenders are all fit. Um, yeah, we're, we're basically missing three. But if, you know, now this season, given the way the squad is, I'd rather be missing, for instance, Robertson than Trent because Shimakas has shown he can do a bit at left-back. I'd rather miss one more centre-mid, if I'm honest, than Trent. And I'd rather be missing one of the, the core four attackers, any one of them, than Trent. Uh, and then have your, your options limited elsewhere because ultimately he's got to pick between James Milner and Joe Gomez to cover Trent Alexander-Arnold. And at the best, I don't think either of them can can get near what what, what Trent can. Yeah. KC, for, from a City point of view, is there any reason, other than the fact that they've played two tough games away from home already this week, is there any reason to change the starting eleven from Chelsea? Uh, no, the, the, the Chelsea side would be what I, what I would pick. Um, I was surprised against PSG that he didn't make more changes to be... To be honest with you, um, I, because I, I think um, the main two battles will, will come on. Um, obviously, Salah's been amazing since he, he came back to the Premier League. But for me, this this year is, and considering how good he's been, for me this year is the, the best form he's ever been in. Absolutely. Um, he's, he's just looked incredible this season. Um, but on, on the opposite side, a player who we probably wouldn't have been uh, thinking of as being as dangerous this year Um uh, has been a revelation on the right. I'd be really intrigued about Jesus versus Robertson. Uh, the way Jesus can press and push Robertson back, uh, I think will be really key for us. Um, Jesus hasn't got the best quality in terms of finishing. I know we got the winner against Chelsea last week, but what he offers in terms of that press and how that will affect the shape of the players all over the rest of the pitch, I think will be a really key one for us this week. Yeah, I mean, Liam. The other side of it is uh, looking at, at City's defensive uh, record this season. They've only they've only allowed the opposition in the Premier League uh, so far this season in six games, six shots on target. Um, Liverpool, you, you, you will press City's defense. Are, are you worried at all about how about how you know Diaz and Laporte, and I'm assuming it's going to be Walker and, and Cancelo, but it might be Zinchenko. How they can cope with with the pressure that they'll be put under. Oh, well, definitely. I mean, you know, we've seen over the past couple of years how good 
uh, Liverpool's attackers are. Um, I mean, we are looking very good at the back, I'd say, at the moment. Um, but I think, you know, obviously, first and foremost, no matter what, sort of, if we, we can score, great. But a clean sheet's got to be the priority as far as City concerned. Um, it's going to be a tough game. It always is against Liverpool. Um, to be honest with you, I've not seen loads of Liverpool yet. I mean, I, I was a massive fan of uh, Wijnaldum. I think, um, I'm not sure how the midfield sort of sets up without him because um, I think he was really key in sort of getting the play up the park as well. Because um, if we do what we did against Chelsea, uh, yeah, Chelsea last week, where we sort of suffocate them, then, you know, the chances to come and attack us are few and far between. But yeah, obviously they, they can do a similar sort of job to us with their pressing. Um, so, it should, you know, it should be entertaining to see, but wouldn't rule out a nil-nil. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, the, the, the other side of it is, I get the impression that um, if City did try and come to, to Anfield and do what they did uh, at Stamford Bridge last week, I, I guess the Liverpool fans wouldn't be that keen on, on the team being quite as passive as Chelsea were. No, there's no way. I mean, there's absolutely no way we would be that passive. Frankly, it's it's difficult to conceive of. I mean, you know, we've we're the highest scorers in the league so far this season, and we've actually underperformed our expected goals so far this season. You know, this is a this is a team that that shows that can get up the pitch in any one of a of a number of ways, and and shows that really really consistently. Jones, uh, Curtis Jones, has played the last three four as in the middle of the park, and he's been better and better with each game, culminating in. A man of the match performance in a 5-1 victory, uh, in Europe midweek away at Porto, which was, you know, it was, it was a performance from Liverpool that was full of potential, uh, player of the match performances, but there was only one and it was Curtis Jones. He was that good, uh, looked after the ball brilliantly, showed lots of Wijnaldum-esque touches, but also produced, uh, effectively four assists through the match as well. Uh, he was, he was tremendous. Curtis Jones, absolutely tremendous. And I, I, I fully expect him to start. I cannot see how Liverpool will get away with or would want to be as passive as Chelsea were. It's never been Klopp's way uh, facing up against Manchester City to, to do that. I think there is an interesting thing if the game's level on 70 in that it wouldn't surprise me if both managers have a little bit of, all right, we'll just get out with this now. That's the one thing. That's the point where I think Liverpool may may choose. It might not be too dissimilar to the game um, around this stage of last season. Not the same time of year, I don't think, but around this this stage of last season after about six or seven games at the Etihad, which ends as a draw. Where I felt that day as though both sides, Liverpool start really, really brightly, much the better team. City then grow into it, much the better side. City, City arguably finish a little stronger, but I felt like both sides had sort of gone all right. We just get a draw here and we all go home and we rethink from there. And I think there's a chance that if one team doesn't run away with it early, that the, the, that both managers have an element of if it's level on about 70. All right, this is level on about seventy, and the idea of losing now becomes nowhere near as sorry becomes far more terrifying than the prospect of winning does. Sort of excite me, uh, and I think that that could be how the game goes if it does end up as a draw. Casey, also given the the, the situation in the table and uh, and given the situation of of how City have done at Anfield last season apart you know in, in the years gone by I guess from a city point of view as well it's 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 kind of if they do fall behind it's not imploding it's not it's not letting the crisis get on top of you yeah I think <clears throat> I think that the two the two seasons where it was uh you know obviously us doing the hundred points then you know 99 98 I think that sort of um skewed the whole country sort of thinking about what the league table should be at this time of the year um, especially, you know, when Liverpool ran away with it and they were winning pretty much every game week in, week out. There have been three seasons where the champions pretty much in a row barely barely dropped any points. Um, and that isn't the way that the league tends to be. And I think because, you know, we are two such exceptional sides, I think last year sort of reverted back more to type. And just because fans are back this year, it doesn't necessarily mean that one or two teams will get in the upper 90 points, you know, they were exceptional seasons for a reason. I think, you know, lower 90 points is probably where you're looking at. And I think even late 80s might win it. So I think last season shown, like, I think we were into November and we were being written off as being far too far behind. We were in the bottom half of the table in November. So I think it is far too early um, in league table terms um, to... You know, to put the uh, the moniker like six pointer on it, uh, but I do agree that 
I think both managers will be happy with the draw uh, when it gets to the latter stages of the match, if if it is still nil nil or one all or whatever. Yeah, Liam, you you said you went to the the nil nil in in twenty eighteen. Um, if Guardiola wanted to do that again, bearing in mind that that Liverpool are not going to be as passive as Chelsea, how how does he do it? Um, well, I think you look at the other games where you know the last couple of years where we've lost Anfield. Um, it, it tends to be that. It, Liverpool can go and score quite a few goals in a short period of time. And I think for me, as long as we keep it tight and don't give them that much space for that first, the first half really, then I think um, that will give us confidence to sort of see the game out. And I think we're all basically saying the same thing here that, um, you know, if it gets to a certain point in the game, I think both teams have got enough respect for each other and they'll just sort of, it'll go like, I can't see like a last minute winner or anything like that. For either team, um, oh, why have you said that? Oh, why have you said sake, that? <laughs> yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to batter you when I see. Neil, if Guardiola does try and uh, try and kill it in that in that nil nil style, because he didn't go he didn't go all out attack as he would normally do in uh, in these sorts of games back in 2018. Uh, what would Klopp do to respond? Would he would he accept the sort of would he accept the challenge to go out there and beat them, or would he would he kind of go actually you know what nil nil's not a disaster. I think that what we, what we do differently a little bit this time is the the come a period where for maybe 10, 15 minutes, we'd have all four of Jota, Firmino, Salah and Mane on the pitch at once. So we actually start that way at the Etihad, which I did not see coming last season at all. And it wouldn't surprise me if he, if he decided to put all four of them on the pitch at once. Say So he brings someone off to bring whichever one of Jota and Firmino he doesn't start on. And then he has the four of them for, say, 15 minutes, sees if it changes it. And if it doesn't, then that might be a bit of a marker where if he then takes one of the others off at that point. Uh, that'd be as sort of, all right, We we what we have, we hold to an extent. It was his move against Brentford in the immediate aftermath was going 3-2 and we really should have gone 4-2 or even 5-2. Uh, but then we, we sort of knock off a little bit and concede a soft one. So it it wouldn't surprise me if that, that became his, his go-to if he felt as though he wanted to force the issue against Manchester City. I think he'll back... I think he'll he'll back his he'll back his it'd be ten I'd be amazed it'd be ten of the same uh, ten of the same side that play against Porto and ten of the same side that play against Brentford to be honest with you I think he'll back Jones in the middle of the park he'll back Henderson uh, Fabinho and he'll he'll make a decision on the front three and I think he will start jotting over Firmino yeah. and then Firmino becomes his sub um, and then that'll be his sub to shake it up if he feels like he needs it. As I'll say it again, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fascinating game, even if it's not an absolute thriller. Uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating game. But I think there's loads of ways in which it becomes an absolute thriller. Uh, I really do. And, you know, thriller by thriller, I don't mean it has to finish 5-4. But by thriller, I mean, you know, both sides having periods where they're able to really, really hurt the other. Uh, Sort of, you know, you get to go for 10 minutes, we get to go for 10 minutes. Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. And then it comes down to who's able to be most clinical for their 10-minute spells. Yeah, Casey, I know you were saying about uh, not paying too much mind to the league table right now, and and I do agree with you, but I also want to chuck into the mix as well. You know, worst case scenario here is that City finished this weekend uh, four points off Liverpool, and that's having been to Spurs, Leicester, Chelsea and Liverpool, and United away is before Christmas as well. So that, that, that it feels like even even if it is four points, the deficit, they are in still pretty good shape. Yeah, like I said, we are in good shape regardless of what happens this weekend. More important than the table is what a win would do for either side, particularly a heavy win. It it, it would give either team a lot of momentum. Um, and I think for me at this stage of the season, that is potentially more important than... like If, if it's a tight 1-0 either way, I don't think it would... I don't think that would point to any particular outcome of where the league's going to end up by the end of the season. But, you know, a big, a big you know, definitive win that could potentially put one team on a roll and knock the other team back for a couple of weeks. And that would potentially be more important rather than what the league table will say at the end of this weekend. Because <clears throat> in terms of, for example, like saying Spurs away, you know, Spurs are absolutely bobbins. That You know, Liverpool, Chelsea, they, you know, they will all go there and batter them because they're rubbish. It was just, that was just a freak game the start of the season. Spurs aren't what, what they were. Um, to me, like say Leicester, are they what they were really? Weren't they beaten two one by Brighton recently at their place? Um, you know they are good results, and I think we are in a good position. Um, but I think with the lack of pre-season over the past two se- over the pa- past two seasons, I think this point of the season is far too early to read on to what's going to happen later on in the year. 
I agree with I agree I agree with all of that for both sides. The one the one thing I would say is that you know so far this season we we're, we're, we're six in. Uh, we remain unbeaten. We haven't lost a league game since the fifteenth of March, um, and that you know that does take in uh, effectively eleven league games from the end of last season, and then there's this where we're on six. I and and this uh, this goes in all directions. Like I, I do think I think that this is a significant game come the end of the campaign. In that I do think these are the two best teams in the country, and I think that if they need to get to ninety five points, either of them they will. Um, you know, I, I look at City's run after this, and yes, there's United away, but United are dreadful, and we all know United are dreadful, <laughs> and we're all trying to act as though United aren't dreadful because every now and again, some old fella scores a late goal. United are absolutely abject, and I, I you know, we've got to go there soon, and, and we often struggle there, but God, they just don't look like a footy team in comparison to the two teams we're going to get to see on Sunday. Genuinely, I do think I think it'll go to 1990. I think I think if either side wins it, Liverpool or City win the league, they'll there'll be a point in the season where they'll at least look like they could get 100 points. But it genuinely wouldn't surprise me if both break 95. It really wouldn't because they've shown an ability across three or four seasons to put this league to the sword game in and game out over and over again. And I don't think that ability is gone for either of these two sides. If anything, I think it's more prevalent now than it's ever been. Yeah, final question, Liam. Um, I mean, obviously, we talked earlier in the show about City breaking Chelsea's momentum in in the title race uh, at, at Stamford Bridge. Is I mean, this is an opportunity for City to do the same to Liverpool, but it's also, I guess, a, a, an opportunity for Liverpool to do the same to City. Yeah, it certainly is. And um, I think, you know, we've seen over the last um, couple of years that a team that tends to win the title are the ones who can go on a good winning run. Um, now, I know, obviously, we won last weekend and Liverpool drew last week, but, you know, between a uh, an international break, it's always a good place to start, uh, you know, another w- winning run and, um, you know, to really sort of get some points on the board this side of Christmas. Yeah, so uh, let's see if we can add some more money now to the charity bet pot. We've raised £250 so far this season. William Hill has given each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. The winnings are going to the Manchester City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're helping the Trussell Trust with donations for all of Greater Manchester's food banks. The simple matter of predicting what happens at Anfield is on the cards. Now, so Liam, what are you having for this one? Yeah, I'm going to go with one all. Uh, one all draw is a fine result for me, and if it's uh, if it's right, it's six to one and sixty pounds. Uh, you can add to the pot there. KC, what's yours? Well, you know, I always go six one uh, in honour <laughs> of the derby where we battered United. But you've sought me out of it this week, man. I know that's 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 how powerful the Anfield curse is that I can talk yeah, you out well, of going. I, I still wanted to go, but uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for the Desmond go two two. 2-2 is uh, 12 to 1 and 120 pounds if you're right and I think it's more likely to happen than a 6-1 away win I'm not going to lie uh, uh, Neil what's your prediction for this one? I've gone 2-0 which sort of goes up against a fair bit of what I've said I can I can sort of see Liverpool getting ahead early not quite capitalising hanging on for dear life frankly and then and then snatching something relatively late post 80 minutes That I think that that's possible I think Liverpool Liverpool, if there's a weakness this season, they're not quite being ruthless enough. And I think I can see a little scenario where Liverpool get themselves, manage to get one, should add to it quite quickly, fail to do so, and then end up hanging on and I may be optimistic they'll make it too. Yeah, well, if uh, if that is how City have to lose, if City have to lose, and that's uh, and that's how it happens, then at <laughs> least they'll add 140 pounds into the uh, charity pot. It's 14 to one. Uh, you got to you got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Now, City have been pretty good for a while, but there's still plenty of us who always seem to fear the worst. Howard Hawking is looking at why. All the ducks are swimming in the water. Alder, 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 alder. What's it like to have endless optimism as a football fan? To think that your team is the best and always will prevail. To never doubt them even when the situation looks hopeless. To not be looking nervously at the clock even though your team are two goals up at home to a 10-man Norwich team. 
How much success do City need to experience to change the psyche of a fan base, or at least change mine for starters? And a few like me, I imagine. In theory, over the past decade, the English fan base that should best mirror such a sunny disposition are the fan base that follow the decade's most successful football team, and they go by the name of Manchester City, the team least likely to let you down. You may have heard of them, even if the song claims nobody knows their name. It's not a song sung very often nowadays, admittedly. But no, we're not that sort of fan base. Well, not many of us anyway. Nothing reflected this better than the lead-up to the Chelsea game. There was plenty of doom and gloom around, though to be fair, a few injuries did contribute to that mood. But for many, it was hard to see how City could prevail over 90 minutes. No striker in the summer, a lethargic performance against Southampton, and not even a Wickham masterclass could raise everyone's spirits. I wonder what percentage of City fans went into the game thinking City should win or would win. Thinking that what happened last season, including two games where Pep Guardiola picked weakened sides, had no real bearing on last weekend's game. Quite low, I would wager. But here's the thing about the City team. They may be one of the best teams in the world, but we seem quick to forget that, and they're very good at reminding us when we do forget. Not always, of course, as two seasons under Pep have started in an underwhelming fashion, and have generally remained that way. But more often than not, under Pep before then, this is a side, a squad, that responds to adversity. After all, only one of City's five league titles has been won at a canter from the off. The other four needed resilience by the bucket load. And they needed the City squad and its manager to remind us Blues that we follow quite a special bunch. We are spoilt by the riches we get to see every week and it's a strange change in psyche to support a club that very quickly, relatively speaking, goes from bang average to one of the best. Perhaps we don't always appreciate what has happened, perhaps it never truly sank in. After all, there are City fans that call our primary defensive midfielder Plodgery, a brilliant footballer, imperfect as he may be, as everyone is. And on the opposite side to all this are, of course, Liverpool fans. Their desire to think the best of everything to do with the club bar the owners creates dichotomies and awkward conflicts in their logic. Believe them and you would assume that Liverpool have the world's best goalkeeper, full-back, central defender, defensive midfielder, central midfielder and front three and probably the best young players coming through as well, and the best manager of course. Yet when City win the league it's because of the money they have spent, even though Liverpool still have the better players of course. Well it can't be both, can it? And Pep can't be a Ford either. You know, the City manager that has won more games than any other at the club. But you have to admire their chutzpah, their bravado. I'd love to feel that way just for a week, even a day. Rather than looking at a fixture list and seeing only the worst, a pessimism or perhaps simply nervousness that can look at Chelsea's identical fixture list to City's and conclude that Chelsea have got an easier run. And anyway, in any given season you don't truly know how good a team is going to be until a couple of months into that season, perhaps later, truly judged after the brutal Christmas period. City, for the second successive season, did not have a proper pre-season. Many players had none at all. And yet here we are as September draws to a close. City have conceded six shots on target in the six league games this season. They've conceded fewer goals than ever at this stage. But still we will go to Anfield where we won 4-1 last season with many of us, me included, fearing the worst. Fair enough you may say after Liverpool hit five in Porto and City succumbed in Paris. But bizarrely the game versus PSG did actually dampen my spirits despite the result but reinforced the feeling that the win at Chelsea might be more indicative of the season to come than the dour 0-0 draw versus Southampton the week before. Two of the world's greatest football team's managers have lined up with defensive formations against Little Old City in the space of a few days. Now football is driven by passion, by emotion and by an identity with your team. There's no escaping any of that as a fan. So it depends how you deal with it, I guess. If all you've known as a City fan is success, i.e. if you're quite young, then your psyche is probably rather different to mine. But also, the way you ingest information and follow your team has been different from the start. Which naturally, as it always does, brings me around to social media again. Is my psyche and that of other blues shaped by social media and the fear of failure because of how it all plays out minute by minute online? Unlike the old days where you went home and forgot about it until the next match came along. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm now well in the minority. Maybe the inability during the pandemic to watch football as part of a group much of the time has had an adverse effect on how I view games and City's chances. But the darker side of all this, and I move away from solely City at this point, is the fury that football now generates, mainly online. That passion spills over, because now in our super-connected world, it's all one big competition to be seen as the best, as a fan as well as a team. And so the demands on your team and its component parts is ramped up. 
Across the city, just over its boundaries, a player misses a penalty and feels the need to release a long essay about his regrets and apologises for daring to be imperfect. When so many fans overreact so much to every little event, every match, every player performance that does not meet their exacting standards, then are our psyches being passively damaged by witnessing it all? Do we feed into the narrative that some have of players being robots who must perform for our pleasure at all times and never falter? Because there are plenty of Blues that expect that from our team, with our manager. No wonder then that we fear them not meeting those standards, and fear the worst because they're human and cannot always meet those standards. If we lowered them, then perhaps the joy of following my team would increase as a result. Ah well, I will one day no doubt fully believe in the team I follow, always, whatever the match, whatever the opposition, whatever the situation, and throw off the shackles once I rid myself of this Twitter addiction. And I doubt players are writing any of the guff that appears on their social media feeds anyway, so I thought I would finish by throwing my hat into the ring and apply to work for Bernardo Silva by writing a message for him after he missed from a yard out this week against PSG. It simply reads, Sorry about missing from a yard, but the constant rain, often travelling sideways, and wild fluctuations in temperature in Manchester, plus the fact it has no beach and only three restaurants, have caused me to question my own existence, especially after I failed to move somewhere really warm in the summer. But I take failure personally and know that everyone is behind me and will strive to be better. But anyway, I was offside, so it wouldn't have counted anyway. So get over yourselves, grow up and believe in us, because we're really good, you know. Up the trophy-winning, oil-soaked, mercery, non-attending blues. Love, Bernardo. See? See you to this PR lot. Hi, my name is Uwe Ressler, former Manchester City player. You listen to the Blue Moon podcast. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast. That was Howard Hawking. And that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And thanks also to my guests for this week, KC. All right, cheers for having me. And Liam Wright. Go well. Uh, please go and give the show a rating and a review in all the usual places especially on Apple Podcasts if you can as that helps more City fans find the show and it helps to keep us going with the ad money as well if you'd like to listen to the show without the ads then you can sign up to be a Patreon backer that's as little as £2 per month and with that you'll also get 4 or 5 of our brand new bonus podcasts each month as well there are several new formats they're out every Monday and last week's was a look at 4 games between City and Chelsea Liam here picked 2 games 1 Heaven and 1 Hell and so did our guest Chelsea fan Liam Toomey uh, Liam, that was it was good fun, wasn't it? Oh, I loved it. Um, it was quite uh, nice to get a load of stuff off my chest, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it was just it was good, and it was quite interesting hearing the the other you know uh, an opposition fan's perspective on it as well. So yeah, yeah. Re- really enjoyed doing that. Yeah, so go and check that out. Uh, next Monday, you'll be able to hear Jonathan Smith's five most influential City games of his growing up as a fan of the club as well. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. After Liverpool, it's the international break, but we'll still be back to debrief all of the action from Sunday's game at the same time next week. So we'll see you then. Was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.